Well, good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here this morning with us, uh, physically and also online. Welcome to the family of God here at New Hope Community Church. You know, the history of New Hope didn't just start like this. Actually, it started back in 1997 when I was the youth pastor over at First Baptist Church in town here. They asked me to start an alternative service. And we ended up calling that alternative service New Hope. And from that service there, it ended up being to here and then also down into Isani. Not planned. You know, in Proverbs it says, we make our plans, God directs our steps. So I never thought it would be to where it is today. But back in 1997, when we started looking into this idea of an alternative service, we looked at who is it we want to run after? And our desire was to run after the people that Jesus run after. And so I put together this little booklet for the congregation of First Baptist, and I started it out by sharing a poem called Maggie's Poem to give a picture of who Jesus runs after and who we're called to run after as well. Let me read it to you. Do you know, do you understand that you represent Jesus to me? Do you know, do you understand that when you treat me with gentleness, it raises this question in my mind that maybe he is gentle too? Maybe he isn't someone who laughs when I am hurt? Do you know, do you understand that when you listen to my questions and you don't laugh, I think, what if Jesus is interested in me too? Do you know, do you understand that when I hear you talk about arguments and conflict and scars from your past, that I think maybe I'm just a regular person instead of a bad, no good little girl who deserves abuse? If you care, I think maybe he cares. And then there's this flame of hope that burns inside of me. And for a while, I'm afraid to breathe because it might go out. Do you know, do you understand that your words are his words, your face, his face to someone like me? Please be who you say you are. Please, God, don't let this be another trick. Please let this be real. Please, do you know, do you understand that you represent Jesus to me? That poem by Maggie gives a picture of who Jesus runs after, who Jesus wants to surround himself with. It gives a picture of the initiative of Jesus. In the Old Testament, we see in Isaiah 61 a picture of what God was going to be like when he sent his son, the Messiah, as God represented in the flesh, who he was going to be and what he was going to be about and who he was going to run after and hang out with. This is what Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 says, which is our theme verse here at New Hope. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me 
because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That gives us a picture hundreds of years prior to Jesus coming as God in the flesh about what God would be about when he was among us as a man. And we see then in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus starts his public ministry, he's in his hometown, Nazareth. He goes into the synagogue. They hand him the scroll of Isaiah. He finds Isaiah 61, and he reads that portion of Isaiah 61. He rolls it up, and then he says, this day this prophecy has been fulfilled. This is who I'm going to run after, who I'm going to hang out with as God in the flesh. But the challenge of the initiative of Jesus is, secondly, the institution of the church, because they are sort of a little bit at war with one another, because in many places, the church has become a club and has forgotten the Great Commission as a life-saving station. In many places, the church has just become a club and has given up the Great Commission as a life-saving station. And throughout the history of New Hope, there's a video that I'm going to show now that I show often to remind us of what we are to be about not becoming a club, but becoming and maintaining more and more a life-saving station. Let's watch. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was no more than a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. With little to no thought for themselves, they went out day and night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the station and give their time and money and effort to support the work. New boats were brought in and new crews were trained. And the little life-saving station grew. Some of these new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those who were saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they began to use it sort of as a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in this club's decor, and there was a memorial lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. 
About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them were foreigners. The beautiful new club was in chaos. Immediately, the property committee hired someone to rig up a shower outside the club, where victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. The outsiders made the life-saving station extremely dirty. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because they felt that they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. But a small number of members insisted upon life-saving as their primary mission and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. After all, the dissenting group's members were voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. So they did. As the years went by, however, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old station. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was found. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that eastern seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters. But most of the passengers drown. You know, the reality of this little story is true. If you go to the East Coast, along the East Coast during the 1800s, the government established these small life-saving stations that were run by volunteers. And the motto was, you have to go out, but you don't have to come in. But over time, those little life-saving stations became exclusive marinas and yacht clubs and they're here today. But it's a picture, though, of the local church and how we end up going out to seek and to save those who are far from Jesus, to invite them in, but then eventually we just turn inwards and we become this club. And the challenge is, is that it doesn't work. It's not what Jesus intended. It's in conflict with the initiative of Jesus which where he came and was anointed to what? To go out to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the prisoners, and to invite them in. But the institutional church today so often ends up just to be a club. And here's the challenge. If we look at population growth over the history of the world with this chart up here, in the 1800s, it was pretty much stagnant. Flatline. But then we see about 1890, this J curve where world population just went ballistic, now towards 8 billion people. And the reason for that is because of all kinds of immigration, and then also people are just living longer. It's just the reality of what's going on. But the demand for people to know Jesus today is greater than the capacity of the local church. We're falling behind population growth. When I moved to this county in 92, the population of this county was 26,000. Today in 2019, it's 39,000. There's a 13,000 people difference there. And I can guarantee there's not 13,000 more people within the local churches of this county. 
And this is probably why Jesus stated in Matthew 9, verse 37 and 38, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. We are those workers. We are those laborers who are to go out and to be inviters. So this is why over the next five weeks leading up to Easter, we are going to be looking at the whole idea of what it means to invite. And we're going to do it by looking at the story that's very familiar to some of us, the story of the woman at the well. We see when Jesus interacted with individuals, he typically interacted with individuals who were uninvited. They were outside of the social norms or groups of his day. But yet he stepped across these social lines so that he could invite the uninvited. And so we get this picture in this story of the woman at the well of Jesus being the inviting of the uninvited. And the emphasis on the word invite is the two first letters, in. In. Thus the door's up front. God's kingdom is open to all, and he invites all in. Let me read to you the first portion of this story of Jesus and his interaction with this woman at the well. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was, he's human, from the journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon, hottest time of the day. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And that is the key verse, key line in this whole story. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Not at all. Period. Jesus invites this woman into interaction with him by simply asking for a drink. But by doing this, he bypasses, first of all, public opinion of the day. You see, he breaks the social taboo against talking to women, period especially in an uninhabited place like a well at noon during the day. In village society during that culture, a man would never make eye contact with another woman, period, in public, period. 
The Mishnah, which is an authoritative collection of exegetical material embodying the oral tradition of the Jewish law and forming the first part of the Talmud, says this about women. He that talks much with womankind brings evil upon himself and neglects the study of the law and at the last will inherit Gehenna, hell. So in the Jewish culture, you did not interact with women, period. Jesus did not only talk to women, he invited women to be in his band of disciples. His ministry was funded by women. Women traveled with him during that day. The radical nature of the changes in the attitude toward women that Jesus introduced shattered societal norms. They were radical during that day. When Jesus encounters this woman at noon at this well, he bypasses public opinion and engages her in relationship. Secondly, B, he bypasses past history. Jesus ignored the 500-year-old hostility that had developed between the Jews and the Samaritans. 300 years earlier, the Greeks had used the Samaria location as a base of their control over the Jewish territory, and the Jews hated the Samaritans for this. The Jews found the opportunity to retaliate then against Samaria and they retaliated by going and destroying the Samaritan temple, which was located on the summit of Mount Garrison. But then naturally, the Samaritans then retaliated against the Jews, and they broke in to the temple in Jerusalem, and they threw dead people's bones all over the temple a few nights before the Passover feast. And because it defiled the temple and the temple was impure because of that act, the Jews could not celebrate the Passover feast. And it went back and forth and back and forth. I mean, if you can imagine, which we hear often, the hatred between North Korea and South Korea, the enmity between the Catholics and the Protestants in Northern Ireland, or the feuding between street gangs in Los Angeles or in New York, you get a little bit of the picture of the hostility and the relationship that the Jews had with the Samaritans. But here Jesus, to engage this woman and to invite into a relationship with him, the uninvited, he bypasses Public opinion talks to a woman. He bypasses the past history. He is a Jew. She is a Samaritan. But as well, he bypasses his position as God. Middle Eastern village women avoid the heat of the day. Nobody goes out at noon to gather water. The women will either go in the morning or later in the afternoon when it has cooled off. It's still that reality today. You'll still see women going out in the morning and late afternoon in that culture to get water. For propriety's sake and safety, women never went to the well alone. 
ever. Now, this woman obviously wanted to avoid crowds, and it was due to her lifestyle that Jesus knew about because she had been with several men. But in this, and Jesus knowing this, knowing that she's a Samaritan woman, Jesus bypasses his position as God. He bypasses her position as a woman and as a known sinner in the community and asks her for a drink. As God, he humbles himself to the need of a common human and elevates this woman's worth by allowing her to serve him with the only thing she could offer, and that was a cup of water. You see, in the Middle Eastern culture, they don't have buckets hanging from their wells like we typically see here. They carry a leather bucket with them that rolls up. When they come to a well, they unroll it, and they lower it down to get their water. And then they take it with them as they travel. Jesus obviously didn't have that leather bucket, or the disciples took it to town when they went to get food. And so he reaches out to this woman, engages her, and asks her to fulfill his human need. By that, he extends self-worth to this woman, even in her lifestyle, a level of integrity to this woman. And we see that through that, he engages her and desires to bring her into relationship with the true and living God. And the last thing we see is that he bypasses the perception of being polluted. Because pious Jews never went through Samaria. They always walked around Samaria, regardless of how far it would take them out of the way. Because they felt if they were in the presence of a Samaritan or they were touched by a Samaritan, it would make them unpure. It would make them polluted. And then they would have to go through this ceremonial purification ritual. That's how much they hated the Samaritans and saw them as different from themselves. And so this woman was amazed to see a Jew in Samaria She was amazed that this Jewish man would be talking to her, a woman. And then lastly, she was shocked that he would ask her for a drink and that he would drink out of her cup and be defiled as a Jew. And so this picture of Jesus sitting with this woman talking with her, bypassing public opinion. Ooh, what are people going to think? Bypassing past history of hostility between Jews and Samaritans. Bypassing his position. Man, I'm God. I'm like perfect. She is not. And bypassing this perception of being polluted because she is a Samaritan amazes this woman and gives us this picture of what Jesus and what God is all about. Crossing social norms, 
and extending an invitation into relationship with him to the uninvited. In order for Jesus to be in a position to invite in the uninvited, he had to put himself in the position to be among them, right? To be amidst the Samaritan woman, Jesus had to be willing to bypass public opinion, past history, his position as God, and bypass the perception of being polluted by being in her presence or by taking a drink from her cup of water. Jesus gives us an obvious picture of our lives, an obvious picture of what his church should be. It's hard to be, it's hard to invite the uninvited if you are always among the already invited. Let me read that again. It's hard to invite the uninvited if you are always among the already invited. And you know what that looks like, and you know what that's called, because we saw it in the video. It's called a club. And that is not his church. He calls us to cross societal lines and go and invite the uninvited among us. And that's why this morning when you came in, you sat on an invitation list. Who is God calling me to invite? And I want you to fill out this list with people that you would like to invite to the Christmas service in five weeks. Christmas, Easter service in five, oh man. Would that be brutal if Christmas was like in five weeks and we had another winter? Shoot me now, right? Just shoot me now, right? Woo! But Easter, five weeks from now. And I want to show you a, a video of a life story of a new hoper who was invited, was welcomed here, and the importance of crossing societal lines or uncomfortableness and to be open to being inviters. Prophecy of who Jesus was going to be. This is what we see in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament of who Jesus was, is that he hung out with the uninvited and he invited them in. And that is what his church is to be. And that is what New Hope will be and continue to be. And so as you listen to this story, consider those who you need to put on your list to invite. Let's watch. What drew me to seek out a church is we had been going to a rather large church down in the cities. And I have three daughters. Um, one of them is special needs. And the church we were going to was no longer a good fit for our family. Um, so I decided to come closer to home. I wanted to be more involved. Um, I wanted something that would be a good fit for my kids as well. When I started looking for a church uh, closer to home, um, I had come to New Hope a few times. Um, and my daughter with special needs 
had some outbursts in church and I kind of I kind of pulled back some, and I stopped going to church, and I decided I knew that New Hope had different locations. Um, I had been working with Sherry to try to figure out what was going to be our best option, um, and one day I decided to try Isani. I was talking to Sherry out in the lobby, and I told her that I was I was very nervous about going to church um, because I didn't I didn't want to be a disruption. Sherry encouraged me to come to church. She said um, that Allie is much of a human as we all are, and that she deserved to go to church as well. Um, and that completely changed my whole perspective on church and on New Hope. I think the scariest part and um, for people trying to find a church to go to would be feeling welcome. Uh, feeling kind of like an outcast when they walk in the doors and um, feeling like they can't, they're not accepted for the way that they are, for the messy lives that they have. Um, when new people are coming to check out a new church, I would say, let's welcome the new person. Let's accept them and give them a smile. People want to be accepted. They want to be welcomed. And they don't want to come into church feeling like church seems to have this thing of uh, people are too godly or too perfect. And that's not the truth at all. That's one reason I come to church is because my life is not perfect. Um, I think my hopes and dreams for becoming a part of New Hope would be I want people to see that if we can be accepted, for exactly the way that we are, that they too can be accepted for the way that they are.